This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on the air. For those of you listening on the air on, on 77 WABC's mobile app and for everybody listening to live stream on WABCradio.com. Exactly three years ago today, January 16th, 2018, Phil Murphy was sworn in as the 56th governor of New Jersey. And Governor Murphy will join me at 520 to talk about what he's done for the last three years, what to expect for New Jersey's pandemic recovery, and what the governor has planned in year four as he seeks re-election. Uh, this was as about an exciting week as you can get in New Jersey politics. Uh, here we were bracing for a hugely competitive primary for the Republican nomination for governor. One week ago, there was no front runner. The gloves had come off between the two major candidates. Uh, they were, there's no better way to describe it, they were beating the crap out of each other. And suddenly, and I mean suddenly, without any speculation or advance warning, the race went away. On Monday, Doug Steinhardt unexpectedly withdrew from the race. He cited professional obligations at his law firm, and that is very much the case. But looming large in the Steinhardt campaign were the unforeseen circumstances of what happened in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, the protest at the U.S. Capitol, the renewed calls for the impeachment of President Donald Trump. Doug Steinhardt, he's the, the former Republican state chairman, Steinhardt had been staunchly pro-Trump in this campaign for governor, and he was making loyalty to President Trump an issue in his campaign against Jack Chitterelli. In fact, on the morning of January 6th, the Steinhardt campaign released a video slamming Chitterelli for refusing to vote for Trump in 2016, and that didn't age well. Now, Chitterelli is the front runner, and in fact, I can go as far as to say that he is the presumptive Republican nominee to run against Phil Murphy in an election that takes place 290 days from today. Uh, there are three other candidates, one of whom told the New Jersey Globe last night that he would run. It's Brian D. Levine, a former Somerset County freeholder and mayor of Franklin. Uh, one of the casualties of the barn-burning Republican gubernatorial primary suddenly disappearing, uh, that was me because I was supposed to moderate the first debate next Saturday right here on 77 WABC. But I'm pleased to report that Jack Chitterelli, keeping his commitment, and he will join me here on January 23rd to talk about his campaign to unseat Phil Murphy. Uh, this is David Wildston, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And the other big news this week was the announcement that Senate Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg will not seek re-election this year. She will retire after uh, nearly 60 years in politics, although I think retirement is in the eyes of the beholder. Senator Weinberg is the liberal lion of the New Jersey Senate. She is among the most consequential legislators in the history of New Jersey. And at 535, please stay around because there's going to be a special tribute to Senator Weinberg, uh, one of the people that I respect most in New Jersey politics. And 
who succeeds Loretta Weinberg in the Senate? Uh, it took about a minute for that campaign to begin. Two Democrats quickly got into the race, Assembly Speaker Pro Tempore Gordon Johnson and Assemblywoman Valerie Veneri Huddle. She chairs the Ag- Aging and Senior Services Committee. Uh, Johnson's been in the Assembly for nearly 20 years, Veneri Huddle for more than 16. Uh, my sources say that Johnson's the leading candidate among the establishment Democrats, but Veneri Huddle has already won the backing of some influential progressive groups. Uh, We should be clear about something. The 37th legislative district is solidly Democratic, and this race is going to be decided in the primary. I'm not sure it gets to the primary. The two candidates will face off at a Bergen County Democratic Convention in March to win uh, the backing of the party. So the candidate who doesn't emerge with the party endorsement has a a big decision to make. Do they want to risk his or her assembly seat? in order to take a shot at the Senate. Uh, I'm David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. Up next, my one-on-one interview with New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. No question off the table as we talk about the new Biden administration, his opponent in the upcoming general election race, and the rollout of the new vaccine. You don't want to miss it next on 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Exactly three years ago today, January 16th, 2018, Phil Murphy put his hand on the Bible and was sworn in as the 56th governor of New Jersey. Governor, welcome. Nice to be with you, David. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Time goes by quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, I I think of particularly with this pandemic, I think of events that happened even just before this whole thing hit us. And uh, it feels like, you know, at one level it was yesterday, at another level they were five or ten years ago. And 2020, early 2021, I mean, the last year of your life has been clearly dominated by the response to COVID-19. For better or for worse, is it fair for New Jerseyans to judge you largely on how you've responded to this pandemic? Listen, I, I'll leave that to the, to, to the millions of folks out there. We're trying to save as many lives as we can, keep as many people healthy as we can. It's been a real, and even just this week, it's been a real struggle with the current administration. And I don't even say that as a political matter, uh, but just you know, to find out that, they, that the vaunted strategic stockpile of, of uh, vaccine doses doesn't, doesn't exist any longer. So listen, it's been a it's been a year of crisis, a year of of heartbreak and loss. Whether it's a loved one, a job, a, a small business, and we're doing everything we can to get this thing crack the back of it and get get our economy growing again. And and uh, I'll let the chips fall where they may in terms of how folks want to want to look at that. Governor, at what point do you think people will feel safe? When do you think life might? return to normal, or as you say, at least the new normal. Yeah, I've been trying to war game this, David. And again, the, 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 this week's uh, developments are not positive data points. I still think, uh, and I think as we, the next few weeks are going to be extremely telling, but I still think you look to Memorial Day, you're in a dramatically different and better place. That's not to say that we may not be able to make you know substantial steps forward between now and then, you know, reopening even further. Uh, but I just look out the combination of the 
epidemiological curves, I hope, cresting in the next week or two, warmer weather in a couple of months or so, vaccines getting distributed more broadly to to the general public ultimately. Um, that combination feels to me like that's the sort of timing that that, that feels right, and, and please God, it's, it, it, it's then, if not even before then. And, and during, your, uh, during your three years as governor, uh, most of your policy initiatives became law. And I want to I move on to the first three before we, we, we focus a little bit on the future. You, you increased minimum wage, equal pay for women, uh, uh, more gun safety, millionaire's tax. Do you, you know, relatively speaking, given the pandemic, do you feel satisfied by your accomplishments in the first three years? Listen, I'm grateful we've been able to get as much done as we have, and I also want to thank our legislative partners for their work alongside of us, because you can't do it alone. Uh, and advocates who have you know, felt passionately about a lot of those things you just talked about, I do think we're on a journey, so I'm glad we, we got a lot of that accomplished. But the, in many cases, that's the, the first step, you know, tax fairness, uh, addressing the inequities in our society, growing the economy, uh, small business growth, and it, it, a lot of it. There are still, still some things we haven't got, uh, we haven't got done, there, but there aren't many relative to what we had campaigned on. I think the big, the big reality now is execution on those journeys. They've started. I'm grateful for that. Now it's up to us to just put our heads down in most cases and execute. Uh, and that's what we're that's what we're focused on. And Governor, the New Jersey Globe named you Politician of the Year last year. So, so congratulations on that. Uh, and, and, but, but in doing so, you know, we talked about your accomplishments. We gave you a win on the legalization of marijuana. Now it's sort of back in that toss-up column. What's what's the status right now? I, I think it's it's far better than toss-up, and that, that's not to say that it's done yet. Um, and it's it's really trying to find a way to thread the needle between two principles that have been uh, inviolate for us from day one. Number one, please, God, let's not get any more of our kids, particularly kids of color, tied up in the criminal justice system. Uh, enough already. And at the same time, and by the way, this was the referendum question that the voters voted on overwhelmingly. This is about adult recre recreational cannabis. Nobody has ever spoken, I've certainly never spoken, about legalizing recreational marijuana for our kids. So we've got to find a way to thread that needle. We had a constructive conversation this week with leadership. Uh, we've been reaching out to the Black Caucus and their staff members. Um, I, don't, I can't tell you exactly when or exactly how, but I remain optimistic we'll get there. And this week you delivered your state of the state address. You said that the pandemic, uh, these are your words, exposed every existing faulty line in our society. What did you mean by that? I think mostly across racial lines. Um, I, I've said this before, David, and, and, and I mean it. I, I don't think there's evidence that the pandemic created the inequities, but it has laid them bare. If you look particularly at black and brown communities, the amount of the percentage who have suffered from this child infl inflammatory syndrome, the folks who have been hospitalized or in ICU uh, beds from COVID, the fatalities, um, that, that to me is the, yeah, there are other fault, 
fault lines uh, as a country. Uh, we we don't have enough time to go through what this has uncovered, right. including uh, we need a lot more investment in public health consistently as a priority. Uh, but that's it's it's not only along racial lines, but that's the big that's the big fault line that has been exposed uh, beyond any question, and that's the one that we've got to address aggressively going forward. Sure, and and Governor. In- in four days, Joe Biden's going to take office as president, and, and uh, you know I know you I know you have a you have a countdown clock. Uh, <laughs> it it seems you have two big asks of the president elect uh, for next year: pandemic relief funding for New Jersey and and funding for a new Hudson River crossing. Do you expect the new administration to meet your expectations, or, or do you or have you just become accustomed to being disappointed by Washington? <laughs> Listen, even with this administration, and I have to repeat, we were able to find common ground, particularly in our darkest moments in the spring of the pandemic. Uh, we got President Trump personally and his administration to greenlight green light the Portal North Bridge. So um, th- those are those are facts. Having said that, I am very optimistic that a new day will dawn uh, much more consistently, whether it's state and local funding to allow us to keep our frontline workers employed, delivering the services uh, that they do in, in our hour of need, whether it's the Gateway Tunnel Project, not just the Portal North Bridge, but the building of the two, two new tunnels under the Hudson. I am very much, uh, very optimistic that we will have a much more consistent national response and federal partnership. Do you think you'll have a shovel in the ground by, by next year? I think we may. It may be later in the year, but I do think we'll have a shovel on the ground. Um, And so, uh, again, I'd probably have a higher degree of certainty on the second half of the year than the first. Uh, But so much of this project is ready to go. Uh, And and that's an important point. This is not a from-scratch reality. Uh, in, In some cases, approvals have been sitting gathering dust on desks in Washington uh, where there's really no dispute that the uh, approval should be put forward and supported. So I, I am, David, I am. Okay. And, and your likely Republican opponent, Jack Cittarelli, uh, he said after your state of the state, he said it wasn't, it wasn't a state of the state, it was a campaign speech. But he, he asked the usual question that a challenger asked, which is, is New Jersey better off when it, than it was three years ago. So I wanted to give you a, a chance to say what you thought on that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see his comments, but as a as a there's without question, we're better off with a very big footnote that the pandemic has crushed, you know, lost twenty thousand lives and the families with whom I speak almost every day, the jobs lost, the small businesses crushed. So in the context of we're living through a once in a century uh, or or even more significant pandemic with enormous consequences. There's no question, with all due respect, uh, school funding at all-time highs, minimum wage going to $15 an hour, tax fairness, uh, Planned Parenthood funded, earned sick leave, uh, the list is long, in addition to an all-time high investment in, in, in infrastructure, whether it's roads, bridges, rails, tunnels, offshore wind. The, the answer to that question is unequivocally we are in a far better place as a state with a huge, huge footnote 
uh, that's tied to that pandemic. Let there be no doubt about that. Of course. And, and you know, and I think the reality is, and, you know, I'll, I'll say it, although you didn't ask me, is is that I think you're in strong shape for reelection unless New Jerseyans, when they when they go to vote next November, feel uh, less than satisfied with the state's recovery from the pandemic. Do you uh, then I think the, the race gets very interesting. Do you is that fair? Do you agree with that? Listen, I, I don't and, and don't don't get mad at me, David, for saying this, but, but it happens to be true. I, I, I barely spend one second on politics these days. Um, we, we raised uh, the money we needed to raise for our primary in the fourth quarter. That was overwhelmingly done by my wife and the team, small team. Uh, and so that's something that, that we have acknowledged that we've been doing. But um, I'm going to stay focused on both getting the pandemic run to the ground and, by the way, in substance, getting our economy back on our feet. I think we're going to have – if I'm right about my earlier prognostication that Memorial Day is a real shot for a better day, we're going to have an economic snapback uh, in that second and, and, and into the third quarter. The key will be, did we have enough chess pieces in place to allow that snapback to be as strong as it as it can be, we we made huge mistakes coming out of the Great Recession. We cut programs, we cut our surplus to the bones. We had no degrees of freedom, and therefore we were the weakest state to and last state to recover. I want to make sure that we are literally chomping at the bit that when we get that that better pandemic day, that our economy does, just doesn't come back, but it snaps back. Sure, sure, and and I mean, Governor Murphy, what what about New Jersey transit, veterans' homes, motor vehicle agencies. When, when there's the new normal, when New Jerseyans begin to, to go back out in the world, will they see improvements this year? Well, God bless the veterans. I mean, we obviously made changes in leadership. Um, and thank God now vaccinations have been underway in those veteran homes, I think going on three weeks at this point. Uh, and please, God, uh, you know, long-term care around the state, around the country, and sadly in veterans' homes, not just in New Jersey, have been clobbered. Uh, but I think Lisa Howe, who's our acting adjutant general of the National Guard in Damava, is doing an excellent job. Um, and it doesn't hurt that she's got a medical background herself. Uh, motor vehicles has taken too long to get, you know, to, listen, we were hit by a tsunami. Um, right. they've, they've made a lot of adjustments. It's in better shape than it was six months ago, uh, but it's not where it needs to be, and, and I'm going to stay on that hard. I know Sue Fulton, who runs it, agrees with me. Uh, Department of Labor, um, you know, at one level, if you're out there and you haven't gotten your your, your claim answered or your 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 pay your check uh, into your account, and you're frustrated, I don't blame you. But I will literally put our Department of Labor's record up against any other state in the country. Um, and so that doesn't – again, that's not to make you feel better if you're still out there looking f for support, uh, but that's a fact. The, the, these are tsunamis unlike anything any any of us have ever seen before. Our job is to recover as fast and smartly as we can and make sure it doesn't happen again. Sure. And, and I mean, you got back from from your, uh, your time as ambassador to Germany uh, about – you spent about three years campaigning for governor. Now you spent three years today governing. Uh, you want to go for another four. So do you have any regrets on getting into this business in the first place? I mean, <laughs> uh, listen, I, I, all seriousness, one sort of takeaway from this pandemic 
is the level of responsibility. You know, when you spend literally 24-7 for now really 11 months, because we started at this in late January, early February, um, you realize the responsibility you have. You realize um, the gravity of the situation. I have never been more honored to be in this position. That's not to suggest it was abstract up until a year ago, because we were changing people's lives through a lot of the things you talked about and some of which I've referred to and many more. But this is uh, an incredible, humbling experience for me, and I'm honored to serve. And I'll close this by by saying, I mean, this time next year, I mean, either we'll be – We'll be talking about your second term, or or we'll be doing some other kind of a, a discussion. But but I, I I hope I can pin you down. Will you come back in fifty two weeks? Either way, hundred percent. I will come back either way, and I certainly hope it's door number one. <laughs> well, Governor Phil Murphy, thank you so much. It's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Good to talk to you, David. Thanks for having me. Take care. Be well. Bye bye. You too. Bye. And this is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. I'll be back to talk about the retirement of Senate Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg with a few people, a few very special people who know the senator better than anyone. So please don't miss it. Next on 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. Uh, Just a reminder, if you want to tune in to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on the Alexa smart speaker, just say, Alexa, enable the 77 WABC skill. It's that easy. Uh, this week, Senate Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg announced she wouldn't seek re-election. Uh, her retirement from public office brings to a close a, a career as an outspoken uh, leader, 31 years in politics, but I don't even think she's close to ending her career as an activist, one that began in the 60s. And, and I could have asked any bunch of politicians to come on and pay tribute to Senator Weinberg, but I got my first choice. It's an honor to welcome my friend Francine Weinberg-Graf, the Senate Majority Leader's daughter, and Shana and Jonah, the Senator's grandchildren. Uh, I thank the entire Weinberg family for letting New Jersey share in the, in the lives of the Senator. Uh, welcome. Hey, David. Thank you. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Francine, I'd like to start with you. You're your mom has been involved in politics for just about your whole life, and, and she's had an extraordinary career. Uh, she may be leaving the Senate, but but I don't think anybody who knows her thinks that she will stop her her fight, her long-term fight for social justice causes that she believes in. Am I, am I right in saying that? I would say you're right. I can't even imagine what she's going to do with herself. And um, I have never known my mother not involved and not working and not, you know, not fighting in some campaign or fighting to take down some corrupt person. So it's hard to imagine what she's going to do with all her time. Well, I'm sure she's going to want to come to uh, to see you and, and, and your family, but. But, uh, um, yes, and and as I tell her, we are so happy to to receive you and have you. But um, but you have to find something to do at least part time. 
I don't think that's going to be a problem. I don't think that's going to be a problem at all for, for, for her. You know, as you know, there was a point in my life where Senator Weinberg was fairly tough on me. But she, she never said anything that wasn't true. She never got personal. She never punched below the belt. And not everybody in politics stays on that side of the line, especially these days. Uh, how did you deal growing up? How did you, Have you dealt as an dealt as an adult with the people who would publicly criticize your mom in, in a way that isn't consistent with the way she treats others? That is a great question. And um, it makes both my brother and I very angry when we see people who really don't know her go after her on Twitter and, and people are you know really abusive and sometimes even threatening these days. And they have no idea really who she is or or what she has done, probably ways that, you know, in ways that has affected their families for the better. Um, I think that she is a very strong personality and certainly, you know, being her daughter that has had its ups and downs. But when I watch her in the public sphere, it's I, I literally marvel at her. I, as I say, the snark is real, and it, you know, the, her. I just think, where do you get these comebacks from? And she's just like, I don't know. <laughs> well, she she has she's had an extraordinary career, and and uh, I mean, what are your first recollections of 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 your mother being a a, a force in local politics? Well, I will tell you that the minute I crunch on a uh, an autumn leaf, it's almost like a TV show. It's like I swish back into a um, flashback of burnt out campaign offices because they would get free rent if if the building had just had a fire, um, no electricity, and they, we would be kind of we, my mother would take you know, whoever, my, my brother and I are friends of ours to the campaign offices and we would stuff literature and there would be kind of stale donuts and we'd pop sugar cubes in our mouths, which is was how that, you know, sugar was dispensed <laughs> in your coffee. It wasn't in packets. And I can vividly remember that. And my mother would also... They, she would send us out lit dropping. So we would pile into somebody's station wagon. They would, you know, we were probably six years old, seven years old. They would drop us off. They would drive down two or three blocks and we would stick literature in people's, I don't know, doors, you know, screen doors and mats, doormats, mailboxes. And we would run down three blocks and they'd pick us up and then they would do it again. They would those were, those were great repeat. old days. They were, they were great. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm speaking with the family of New Jersey Senate Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg. And Shana, you're, you're 17. When did you first realize that your grandmother was a, a larger-than-life force in New Jersey politics? Honestly, I don't think that it was until recently. Um, I mean, her career is older than I am, and I was a baby for – uh, the most recent part of it. Um, and it wasn't until I started seeing her name everywhere and, and getting to watch her do interviews and, um, you know, getting to be a part of interviews with her 
that I was like, oh, my goodness, my grandma is this this huge person um, in New Jersey. And I, I know I know you're very proud of her. I, I know she's very proud of you because I've, I've heard her speak of it. But she spent her entire public career fighting for equal opportunities for women. What what kind of role model has she been for you? She's my hero. I mean, she's absolutely she and my mom are my heroes. Um, when um, Amy Coney Barrett was elect or not elected, um, appointed to the Supreme Court, I called my grandma crying because um, I was really scared. And she passed a law in New Jersey protecting um, women's reproductive rights, which I mean, just is huge to me. No, I, I, she has uh, she has passed, passed many many laws over the years that you know, and and and, it, and not my job to say whether it's a good law or a bad law, but she has uh, she has a major impact, and and you should be very proud. And, and Francine, I know you're working on a special project to tell the Loretta Weinberg story. Uh, tell me what you're doing. So I. I've always known that my mother was different, even as a very little girl. I, I could remember just sort of looking at her and just thinking, she is just not like the other moms. And um, it's just stayed with me my whole life. And I uh, shot a lot, of a, a lot of footage when she ran for county executive. Um, and recently, I just, I sort of didn't, have enough to pull anything together to do any kind of documentary. But um, I decided in the last couple of years that it's really time to tell her story. So um, I am doing a documentary on my mother called The Girl in the Back Room. And it's really all about um, her political battles and how she's taken down a few corrupt bosses, et cetera, all along the way. And um, really nobody would believe this story if they didn't live through it and, and jonah your grandmother said uh when she announced her retirement that you are the one most protective of her uh how's your grandmother's career influenced you and, and your beliefs oh certainly i mean uh she she has been a massive influence on everything i believe in you know i grew up um in, in sort of, I think, the peak of her, or at least when she was getting really big. And so I, I was tagged along for a lot, of, a lot of her meetings with people, a lot of, you know, a lot of her decisions. And I heard about it a lot. And, you know, she is just, my life has revolved a lot around her in a good way. And that has really, really, really influenced, you know, how I walk, how I talk how I think, you know, so much of it is attributed to, to my grandma. And I remember a couple of years ago, the, the governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, he, you know, he said he hoped that reporters would, it, it was a, I can't believe he still, I still can't believe he said this, uh, take a bout out, uh, a bat out on your grandmother. Do you, do you remember that? How did that make you feel when you heard that? Yeah, I, I do remember that. That was, I think that was my big introduction as to how big she was was uh was when that whole thing was going on and i i remember you know initially just sort of um 
just sort of blowing it off a little bit. I don't think I was really old enough to comprehend necessarily what was going on. And then, you know, we, it it was talked about a lot. And, um, you know, my sister wrote a letter to Governor Christie saying, essentially, don't bully the people of New Jersey. And I think after that was when I realized how bad it was. And, uh, you know, she constantly was, was reminding me that it's okay. He's just a bully. It's okay. But I do remember getting awfully, awfully annoyed at the fact that, um, at the fact that he, he would, he would say that. Yeah, and, and Francine, I want to come back to you. Some people, I, I read this all the time. They, they, refer to Loretta Weinberg as a, a feisty grandmother. And for some reason, I just, I, I, I don't know that feisty is the, is the right word. I, I think she's tougher than feisty. I think she's, 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 she's several levels above that. Do you, do you think that when people just say she's a grandmother, that they, they really know what they're talking about? That is, a, it's a great point, David. And, and, it was during the lieutenant governor campaign uh, with John, you know, with John Corzine against Chris Christie that that feisty grandmother uh, title really took hold. And my kids were pretty little. They were still, I think, I don't know, five or six. And I thought she's only been a grandmother for a couple of years. How uh, how could they ju- they just? It was like the narrative had to peg her as something because she's an older woman in politics. And I used to say she was young and beautiful. She looked like Grace Kelly if Grace Kelly was Jewish and born in the Bronx. That's how I sort of combated that grandmother title. Um, She is smart, intelligent, savvy. She and she it's a calling for her it's a passion for her it's politics is in her blood and there is no one like her and especially in the state level and there will you know there i hope there is another loretta weinberg out there tumbling forward that would be the biggest compliment to my mother that's a that's a great thing to say and and thank Thank you, Francine. Thank you, Shana. Thank you, Jonah, for for joining me. And and I I look forward to speaking with all of you again soon. Uh, This is David Wildson, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'll be right back to talk about some other honest, decent people in Jersey politics. And you're not going to believe what two officials did uh, when they were offered a bribe recently. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. I'm Dr. Andrea Russo, a cardiologist. Maybe you're waiting to talk to your doctor right now. But if you're having an irregular heartbeat, heart racing, chest pain, shortness of breath, fatigue, or lightheadedness, don't wait. This could be a serious condition like atrial fibrillation, which can make you about five times more likely to have a stroke. If you're having these symptoms, don't wait. Talk to a doctor by phone, online, or in person. Brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer. Time is running out, New Jersey. Open enrollment for health insurance ends January 31st. Visit getcovered.nj.gov to compare plans and see if you qualify for financial help. Our local experts can guide you through the enrollment process. This is your chance to find quality, affordable health insurance you can count on. 
Visit getcovered.nj.gov to get started before it's too late. You must enroll by January 31st for health coverage. Don't delay. Enroll today. Numbers mean much to me because of prostate cancer. I'm Johnny Braggs, the number two, for my stepfather who died of prostate cancer and my uncle who suffered so much after prostate cancer surgery. The number 15, 15 years since Dr. Lederman's successful treatment of my prostate cancer. The number zero, which is my PSA, zero, after Dr. Lederman's successful prostate cancer treatment, what every man wants. The numbers one, two, three, four, important for every man with prostate cancer. One, getting the most successful treatment. Two, avoiding radical robotic surgery. Three, keeping sexual functions. Four, maintaining urinary control. Call my Dr. Lederman, 212 Choices, 212 Choices, to consider his prostate cancer treatment for you. Most insurances, Medicare, Medicaid accepted, 1384 Broadway at 38th. Call 212 Choices for prostate cancer treatment. Call Dr. Lederman, 212 Choices. I'm glad I did. You'll be number one with Dr. Lederman. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them, I need them, more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes, it's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. Thank you for tuning into the New Jersey Globe Power Hour uh, on the air on the 77 WABC mobile app and, and for everybody listening to live stream at WABC.com. There were two other stories I want to talk about the past week. In South Jersey, we saw something that doesn't happen very often. Ryan Peters, he's a 38-year-old rising star in Republican politics, announced he's not going to seek re-election to the state assembly. And you don't see people just walk away. Usually it's to run for something else or, or people park themselves in the legislature and, and they, they, they stay for a very long time. But Peters is, is different. He told me that he's got three young children, that he wants to spend time with his wife and his family and that he'd rather coach flag football or coach Little League than raise money or go out in what people sometimes call that rubber chicken circuit. So there's also another part of Peter's story that's so important for you to know. In addition to being a legislator, a husband, a a dad working full time, Ryan Peters is the commander of a U.S. Navy SEAL Reserve Unit. He's an Annapolis graduate. He spends one weekend a month in service to his country as a Navy commander. And last May, Uh, Assemblyman Peters was notified that his SEAL team was to be deployed in November. That deployment got canceled, but he could still be called up for a final time in 2021. So that could mean nearly a year away from his family. So 
here's a guy who's got his head on straight. And regardless of whether you agree with Ryan Peters politically or not, he's, he's owed a tremendous appreciation for his service. Uh, a lot of people, including me, thought that Peters was going to run for the state Senate this year. The incumbent is Dawn Adiago. She was elected on a Republican ticket with Peters in 2017, but she switched parties two years ago, and she will seek re-election as a Democrat. Uh, Republicans are running a proven vote-getter against her. It's Jean Stanfield, uh, an assemblywoman, a former Bergen Burlington County Sheriff, she entered the race this week. This is going to be one of the best state Senate races in the state. It's a district that hasn't elected a Democrat since 1973, but it is hugely competitive. And, and Adiago versus Stanfield, this is, this is going to be one to watch. Uh, this is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. This next story, I think, will make you feel sort of good about Jersey politics. Two, uh, two guys, Passaic Mayor Hector Laura and former Fairlawn Mayor John Cosgrove, uh, last year were offered bribes. And both of them, acting independently, acting swiftly, they did exactly what they're supposed to do. They immediately called law enforcement and reported it. So, so this, for those who follow Jersey politics, this is, this is one of these... Stories that doesn't happen as much as it could. It's a story of two honest men. Uh, a guy named Omid Bayada wanted a promotion at the Passaic Valley Sewerage Commission. So he offered Laura and Cosgrove, they're both commissioners at that uh, sewage authority, a bribe to get a, a higher paying job. Cosgrove wore a wire, and the state attorney general announced this week that he was charging Bayada with attempted bribery. And I should point out that... Three of Laura's last four predecessors as the mayor of the city of Passaic went to prison for corruption charges. So it is it is hugely refreshing to see uh, somebody holding public office doing exactly what they're supposed to do. If they see something that's going wrong, they, they say something. Uh, this, this was an interesting week uh, in Trenton. Both houses of the New Jersey legislature approved a, a symbolic non-binding resolution condemning President Donald Trump and some of his supporters over the protest of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. It was passed along party lines. There were only a few Republicans who voted yes. That's not really surprising. But what's important is to show that this is, this is still an issue, that Donald Trump, I think, over the course of the 2019 campaign, uh, is going to loom large. He's going to continue to have an outsized effect on the races for the gov for governor, races for the legislature. Uh, and, and something else quickly, some news from the U.S. House of Representatives. Two New Jersey congressmen, Josh Gottheimer and Tom Malinowski, have been named to the Homeland Security Committee. Uh, along with Congressman Payne and Congresswoman Watson Coleman, that's four New Jersey members of Congress on this committee that handles security legislation. That's, that's so incredibly important to uh, the people of the state of New Jersey. Uh, the other thing is with Joe Biden taking office in four days, it means a new U.S. attorney. Uh, it, it's likely six federal judgeships will get filled. Uh, the New Jersey Globe has exclusively reported that the short list of possible candidates uh, has emerged, that lobbying for these posts have already begun. Remember, it was the U.S. attorney post that propelled Chris Christie 
into the governorship. So, so that is that is extraordinarily important. Uh, so is a state state senate government committee bill. Uh, it was sponsored by Senators Ron Rice and Troy Singleton, passed through committee to study uh, radical and and ethical disparities in the awarding of, of public contracts. So. Thank you, everyone, for joining me on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour this week. Special thanks to Governor Phil Murphy. If you tuned in late, missed the interview, no problem. Check back to hear the podcast on WABCradio.com and on NJGlobe.com. As always, thank you so much to our producer, Kevin Sanders. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. 